Boca Floja, Mexico City, Macon, Georgia, as uh, cultural workers from the global south. It is our duty to denounce the genocidal atrocities the illegitimate state of Israel is putting in practice towards Palestine. This is a non-debatable topic. No repercussion in our careers should be allowed as an excuse to remain silent or neutral. The capitalist machinery is on a permanent war against our subjectivities and we need to utilize any resources we have in hand to stop this abuse now. Palestina Libre ayer, hoy y siempre. Shout out to my brother Boca Floja. This is the Worldwide Underground. My name is Gabriel Teodros. And we were just in Mexico City with Boca last week as I was finishing up the first episode of this very podcast. And the theme of that episode was solidarity. I asked a ton of different artists about their thoughts on what solidarity means for artists in this time as we witness the atrocities, an entire genocide happening in front of our eyes in Gaza, the West Bank, Palestine. And I'm continuing to think about how to use this platform responsibly and of service for everyone who's doing liberation work right now. I know it's hard, it's exhausting, it's soul draining, but it's also necessary. It's also life-giving, it's also affirming, especially when done in large numbers. I know for me, every time I go out to a protest, I remember how connected we really are, you know? But yeah, it's heavy. You'll hear me talk about it in this episode, but um, my therapy session this last week, I completely fell apart. Just on the first question the therapist asked me, which was, how are you doing? I had a big, ugly cry that I think I had been holding in for a while. And I knew that this next episode, we needed to talk about grief and the connection between grief and liberation work. My guest today is a brother who I've known for quite some time here in Seattle, Washington. He's an artist, a grief counselor, community organizer. His name is Derek Dizon. And earlier this year, he founded a grief and loss cultural center in Seattle's Chinatown International District first that I've ever seen or heard about. It's called A Resting Place. And last week, Derek put out a beautiful statement in solidarity with Palestine, but also illustrating the need for a space to do grief work alongside liberation work. So we had a longer conversation unpacking that statement and getting into Derek's life story which is incredible. Hope you enjoy this episode of the Worldwide Underground. Hey, hey, you're listening to the Worldwide Underground. My name is Gabriel Teodros, and I got a very special guest today, my friend Derek Dizon. How you doing, Derek? Hello, hello. I'm doing okay. You know, I'm here sitting on the floor with my dog, and so feeling good, feeling comforted. Yeah, that's great. Um, comfort is a great word for today. Um, I wanted to I wanted to have this conversation with you because, um, I mean, as you know, it's just been a really devastatingly hard couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. And um, as I've been scrolling on social media, trying to stay aware and stay connected to everything that's happening in Gaza right now, mm-hmm. I came across a statement that you put out. Um, from a resting place. And it was something that, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful statement. Um, Mm. And it's something that uh, it stuck with me all week. Um, I talked to my therapist this week 
about this. I had a big, ugly cry. I had a big, ugly cry with my therapist on Thursday, just about everything that's happening Mm -hmm. in Gaza. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, um, and my therapist quoted Tracy Chapman to me, which was beautiful. She said, we can't, you can't lose yourself to the fight. And it's important Mm. to, it's important to, as much as we have to like, keep our eyes on what's happening is good to look away with intention so we can come back and look at, look at it again the next day. Mm. And, um, and yeah, I just, I just loved your statement and, 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 and I felt like it was really connected, really human, really grounded. And I wanted to have this conversation with you about, um, about you, your work, your space and what it means to grieve in this time, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I guess with all that, um, uh, let's talk about your work. You are a grief counselor? Yes, I, I am a grief counselor. Um, currently, I work at Seattle Children's Hospital okay. um, in a clinic called the Journey Program. And it's a program that serves families who've experienced the death of a child um, or experienced um, the death of somebody significant in their life. And so we both serve um, people at the hospital and people in community as well. Yeah. What, um, I have so many questions. Like, what is, what does that work look like, like in a day? Like how, how does grief counseling work? Yeah. So, you know, for me in my particular position, um, I work with a lot of black and brown and immigrant families who are grieving And mostly, I would say a lot of my work is online and on phone. So a lot of the sessions I do are through telehealth, um, through video calls, or through the phone. And so what that looks like is me calling um, uh, the people who I companion in the grief, calling them up, and just creating space for people to explore and create meaning out of their grief. I think a lot of times, like in a really busy day, whether we are staying tuned to the news, whether we are burying ourselves in our work, numbing ourselves out, or completely ignoring like anything that's happening, oftentimes we don't create that space for grief in our heart. And so my job is to to allow for pause and allow for curiosity for people to really delve into like what does it mean for, for me to experience this loss? What does it mean for me to experience the death of somebody significant in my life? Yeah, this is this is the most basic of questions, but why why do you think it's important for us to have that space for grief in our lives? Yeah, you know, I ask myself this question every day, mm. um, and first and foremost for my own self. You know, as somebody who experienced traumatic death at a really young age, I think I've always asked myself. Why is it important for me to grieve? Why is it important for me to remember, in this case, my mom, who was murdered when I was four years old? And, you know, I think this question changes every single day. And it's a lifelong question that I'll continue to ask myself. But it is an important one. And for me, you know, in the, in the center of my response to this question, it is so I can continue, continue to create meaning out of my loss. Um, to continue to create meaning out of my losses. You know, oftentimes when we experience grief, like there's like absolutely nothing in the world that can make it better, right? Right. Like there's no words that can really explain why death or separation happens in our life. But even though there's no explanation, we're still met with how do we want to live in the aftermath of death, right? We're like, we're still kind of forced to, to continue living in this way. And so to me, grief work or, you know, tending to grief is about how do we continue to, to live in the aftermath of, of loss. And so, yeah. you know, grief counseling, grief work, tending to your grief can be, can be a way for you to, to continue to create meaning. That certainly doesn't mean you'll always get answers um, but meaning nonetheless. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the, one of the ways I always think about it, like just in a, in a personal note, when, 
when losing someone who means a lot to me and I've lost so many, like we all have in the last mm-hmm. several several years, mm-hmm. is um, I try to find ways to honor them, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and make my life a tribute, you know, a way to mm-hmm. honor to honor Definitely. their memory. What do you What do you think some other like healthy ways to move through grief are? Yeah, I think you know that aspect of honoring and remembering and celebrating people's lives through the way that you live your own um, and carry out your own values is a really beautiful way to to honor people who have passed on. Um, and when I think about death and I think about separation, like to me, it's not just like the interpersonal losses we experience in our life, um, but like what those interpersonal losses um what they're connected to you know oftentimes it's like you know i'll take my my life for example even though i've i've experienced like so many different types of deaths in my life i've had friends die family members die as well um the one i go back to really is my mom because it yeah. was such a you know such a big event in my life and i'm 33 now my mom was murdered like just 2 months before my 5th birthday And so I lived most of my life without her. And living my life without her, it it meant not having a a mother in my life, but it also meant like the things that she represented, which was also a connection to my culture, a connection to language, a connection to understanding like where I come from. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to me, a part of remembering people who've passed on in our life is also remembering like our lineages, like remembering where they come from too, and finding ways to honor our dead through through cultural work too. Um, and not just ha- through um, that person's life alone, but how does it extend elsewhere? Yeah. Um, a lot of people who I think know you might know the story of what happened to your mother without even mm. knowing that it... <laughs> That is your mother. Can you can you talk about that connection to totally? I guess to like the birth of API Chaya and and what that organization and what that work and everything like means to you. Like seeing it, yeah, done in her honor. I can totally talk about that. So my mom's name was Phoebe Orbiso Dizon, and she was a Filipino woman who came to the United States. I'd say like in the nineteen seventies but didn't make her way to Seattle until the 1980s. Um, I call her like an OG organizer. You know, she wasn't necessarily a part of like any type of like coalition or like nonprofit, but she was someone who really valued interconnectedness, like someone who really valued friendship, um, valued fun and celebrating and like good food and dancing and singing and, and, and really a person of faith. Like she was a really, um, devout Christian, and she organized a lot around her church. And so, you know, that's kind of the, the backdrop of my mom. She she was a really lively person who loved bringing people together. Um, and so she was definitely a fixture in, like, the, the local um, Filipino Christian um, community here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early 90s, she met a friend named Susanna, Ramarata, who was uh, a woman from the Philippines, um, actually the same island as my mom. Mm. And she was experiencing um, an abusive relationship at that time with her estranged husband, Timothy Blackwell. Um, at that time, my mother, um, you know, didn't know her per se, but she, because they came from the same island, they had mutual connections through family. And so when Susanna came to Seattle um, and as she was navigating her abusive relationship with her husband at that time, she phoned back to the Philippines and people in the Philippines then referred Susanna to my mother as a person who could help her out. Mm. And because they shared the same language, the same like geographic location, similar migration story and language, um, they really connected and from that moment, my mom connected her with lawyers, safe housing, and, and other resources to really um, help her thrive and be safe in that situation. Um, at that time, there was no organization like API Chaya, which is um, 
an organization that supports survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. So really, it was through my mother's friendship with Susanna and another friend named Veronica, another Filipino woman. It was through their collective friendship and collective determination that they they were able to fight for safety, um, connection, um, and friendship. And so um, my mother and Veronica um, helped Susanna get connected to lawyers. They supported her through her time um, in the legal system and even accompanied her to court as witnesses as well. And unfortunately, in the last day of the divorce court hearing, Susanna's ex-husband was able to sneak a gun into the King County Courthouse and shot my mother, Susanna, who was then pregnant, and also Veronica. Mm. And so at this time, like, a lot of people in the Filipino community, in the Seattle community, um, were really shaken by this event. Unfortunately, like, this wasn't the first murder, um, domestic violence-related murder that had happened in our region at that time. There were several before and several afterwards that specifically um, was in the Filipino-American community here in Seattle. And so many community members in the Filipino-American community came together um, to educate ourselves around the root causes of domestic violence and connecting interpersonal violence to systemic violence. And so it really brought in like a political analysis to the way in which we offer support to survivors in our community. Um, And that movement itself grew into the Asian and Women Family Safety Center, which later merged with Chaya in 2012 to form API Chaya. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more to the story, I feel like I could could say, but in, in the, you know, in, in the respect of time, that's kind of like the short edited version of it. And so that's where I work right now as a program manager. But before I even got into this role, um, I volunteered in um, putting together a program called our Vigil, mm-hmm. or API Vigil, um, which is to honor the life of my mother, of Susanna, and of Veronica every year. And so... Um, even you know, even before I became a grief counselor or bereavement clinician, um, my first kind of um, delve into grief work was through organizing the vigil at API Chaya. Beautiful, beautiful. I was gonna ask because um, you know I first met you as an artist. Um, how much uh, how much your art practice? was a part of this journey into becoming, you know, from, from, from understanding and trying to make meaning of your own losses into becoming a grief counselor for others. Like how important art, what, how how important was your art in that journey? Yeah, my, my art was really pivotal in informing how I understand grief work um, and connection to like culture, connection to what has historically been taken away from us. Um, because my, my my art is grounded in cultural work, um, a lot of my art does express kind of like a yearning um, and desire to connect with parts of um, Filipino history, Filipino language, ancestry prior to colonization. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time where when you have when you first met me through my art, I don't think I was consciously making the connections really between mm. like my art, you know, grief counseling, community organizing. They were all kind of like different aspects of my life, right? I did my organizing with like here and then I did my art on the side. Then I was probably going to school at the time to um, be a, a therapist um, mm-hmm. concentrating in grief at that time. And so there were really different aspects of my life that were separate from each other. Um mm. And it wasn't until now that I kind of brought them together as a way to bring my whole self or at least try to bring my whole self into the work that I do. And so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the grief work I do acknowledges grief as a natural response to any type of loss, right? Not just the death that we experience in our own lifetime, but the losses that we experience through our ancestry, right? Through displacement, um, through colonization and imperialism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those that sense of grief is like ongoing, right? Um, 
I would even say that the grief that we experience in relationship to people who've died in our life, it's also ongoing too. Yes. And so my art is a way for me to kind of find myself in the ongoingness of it all, you know, like find myself like um, tending to my own grief in a way that feels relevant to like how I make meaning in my life, which I'm sure like, you know, as, as an artist yourself, you, you can probably relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, when, um, when someone passes, like I have to, I literally like, like have to write it down. It's not even yes. like, it's not even like a thing I do for show or for, you know what I mean? Like, even though I think, I think I might be one of those people that annoy people sometimes because like someone will pass away and I'll be the first one to write like a whole essay about what this person means and mm. put posted on social media. Uh, like, I get it. Like, I get why that might be annoying to some people, but I just have this need to process my loss into writing. And if I don't, mm. I feel like I can't function. And it's mm. not... And it's not enough to write. Like I have to write and share it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I'm wired that way. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Without art, I don't know how I'd be able to move through any of this, you know. And I, and I consider like, you know, that kind of writing not that different from writing a song, you know. Right. Totally. I think that that's a that's a really important aspect of grief that you touch on. Gabriel, mm. the aspect of like externalizing the loss that we experience in our heart outside of us. Yeah. I think we live in a, in this culture in the United States where we keep a lot of our losses silent. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, death and grief is, you know, somewhat stigmatized in, in this, in this place of the world that we oftentimes experience grief alone. Yeah. Right. Grief mm. can be so lonely. And I think for myself, um, it has been really lonely, especially as a child. Yeah. Um, my family didn't really talk about my mom's murder too much, you know. Of course, wow. they like, you know, let's remember her life. Let's celebrate her. Like, remember all the, the beautiful things that she, you know, left for us in this world. But, you know, no one really talked about, like, the pain, you know. Mm -hmm. No one really talked about sorrow. No one really talked about anguish. And not to say that we should dwell on those things, of course, grief transforms over time into things like celebration and love and laughter. But mm. I feel like for, for a, a much of my life, um, that really wasn't talked about. And not to say there's anyone to blame. I think it's really a, a cultural thing and, and not specific to any type of ethnic culture in particular, mm -hmm. but American culture as a whole that really denies us of our humanity right mm -hmm. um, and asks us to keep pushing forward to to keep producing to keep showing up to work you know business as usual yeah and so a lot of it's within the context of survival right right um, and I think you know that that statement that you're talking about earlier um, that I wrote um, mm -hmm. in response to to grief work as, as liberatory work yes um, I think it's really important for us to understand grief within the context of our environment, right? Like what are we mm -hmm. surviving and what needs do we need to, to get met so that we can grieve in a healthy and meaningful way? Yeah. And so when I look back at the grief that I held as a child and my family held um, in, in the aftermath of my, of my mom's death, um, our conditions weren't, weren't always the best conditions, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Our needs, our human needs weren't always being met. Um, I think oftentimes when our human needs are not met, our grief turns into silence and that silence gets burrowed deep in our heart. That's right. And so, you know, going back to what you were saying, what you were talking about earlier, Gabriel, about like, um, you're like the first one to, to write about it, the first one to post about it. Like, to me, that's, um, that's so, that's a practice I feel like a lot of people can, can benefit from um, and learn from. You know, the ability to really externalize what's happening for yourself so you don't have to hold it in anymore, right? Yeah. Um, it can be outside of you and, and someone else can hold it with you. I think that's a really kind of really transformative aspect of grief. And I see you shaking your head because I, I feel like you already know. But Well, yeah, it's, it's part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because, you know, we are all, 
I feel like we all are grieving collectively, even if we don't know we're grieving collectively, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's mm-hmm. that's one of the the tricks of this society is that it it makes you think you're going through everything alone, and it makes you think that you're completely isolated in your pain, but we're all going mm-hmm. through. Mm. We're all we're all grieving something similar at the same time. And I feel like we can we can help each other heal, you know? Like like you sharing your story is helping me heal right now, you know? And even um mm. even even talking about how um how your family didn't want to um like speak about your mother while you were growing up, you know, like it it reflects my family, you know, and it makes me feel like like, mm. like I wasn't alone in that that story. So in my family, I had um when I was very young, uh, one of my uncles uh, died by suicide. Um, mm. I was probably five or six years old. Um, mm. I still remember the day super clearly. Mm. I remember mm-hmm. the cop who came to the door you know, this hat off to tell my mom and the way she mm. fell apart and, mm. you know, and the years it came after. Like, I remember all this and it's something my mom doesn't want to talk about. Like at a certain point, she even took away the photos of him because she didn't want mm. the reminders, you know? Mm. And I and, and speaking about like cultural silence around grief and, and the impact that it has on the next generation, right? Because I think you right. and me both and so many of us as, 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 displaced people we are mm. we're also healing like intergenerational pain right like mm-hmm. like the pain of, of being displaced is there's a grief that comes with that mm-hmm. that sometimes our parents are just surviving and they don't get to like really you know process fully but because they didn't we have to and mm-hmm. you know and if we don't mm-hmm. like it lives in us right and and I was hoping mm-hmm. you could speak to that about about how what happens with grief when we don't let it out when it's just in our body, you know? Yeah. That's a great question. I think grief can manifest itself in so many different ways, mm. physically, physiologically, spiritually, and emotionally, when it's not tended to. And I think it's really u- unique and really different for every single person, right? Like the way that grief might manifest in my own body might be like a tummy ache or right. it might mean like I feel super numb and I can't talk to people right now or maybe it puts me in a hyper nostalgia mode where all I can think about is the past and that becomes my reality right those are kind of my two go things mm-hmm. but because grief is okay so I'm gonna rewind a little bit and say mm-hmm. the way that I like to frame grief is that it's, a, like I said earlier, a natural response to any type of death, loss, or separation. Um, and oftentimes, when people talk about grief, it's framed within the aspect of love. They like to say, I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people frame grief as like, it's the other side of the coin, right, mm. of, of love. And, and I really push back on that. Mm. I, I really do. Um, because in, in some instances where... A person may have caused you harm in your life. A very mm-hmm. significant person may have caused you harm in life. When they die, I think there's grief there too. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that you have to love that person, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but your grief can also be, your, you know, your rage. Mm-hmm. It can also be um, resentment. It can also be anger. And I think those are all really healthy and justified feelings of grief that you should and can feel when experiencing it. And mm-hmm. and so I, I like to say that grief is the word that we use for the word relationship after mm-hmm. somebody has died, right? Because we're still really in relationship when people who die in our lifetime. And so when if we think about grief work as relational work, if we think of grief as parts of us that we're still in relationship with, then I think we can still talk about healthy relationships and grief, right? We mm. can still talk about like, you know, boundaries. We can talk about consent. We can talk about breakups, you know? <laughs> we wow. can talk about, yeah. Or we can even talk about what does it mean to stay in connection with, with people who die. Um, yeah. I think that's the really beautiful things to talk about grief is, is yeah, like mm. I want to continue my relationship with my mom. You know, that's why I do grief work, right? Um, but, you know, I think for some people, 
there are there are people who navigate violence and harm and abuse who experience that from someone they may have had love for or maybe someone they actually didn't love mm-hmm. and only experienced harm from and when that person dies they may feel grief of them um but it doesn't have to be love. So I kind of want to just put that in the backdrop of like my framework on grief um, and how I, how I kind of practice that. Mm-hmm. And so I say that because everybody's grief is going to be different because everybody's relationship to the person who's died is personal to them. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't necessarily want to make any blanket statements about like how grief shows up for people people's bodies after they experience a death. Um, So I did want to say that. And I will say that like, it is really natural for people to experience like forgetfulness or, you know, somatic, somatic responses of like ache, body aches or stomach aches or loss of appetite, confusion, um, loss of reality. And so, you know, those are some really common um, kind of impacts of grief. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, like, on top of that, everybody will experience different emotions and notions and and um, feelings of grief, depending on that person's relationship to the one to, to the person who's died. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I went through I went through something like that recently where um, mm. I, I realized what I was grieving was the possibility. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Of this person, of this person turning around, you know, mm-hmm. definitely, and you know that's like a, oftentimes a grief within a grief, right? Yes, it's very, very layered. There, like you're grieving possibilities, you're grieving futures, mm-hmm. you're grieving like all the things you wish that a relationship could be, right? And so I think in in that way, like. Yeah, it is so personal. You know? Yeah, yeah. It is so unique. Absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if we can transition into um, into talking about the space that you've opened up. What 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 yeah, is for sure. what what is a resting place, and what brought you to <laughs> creating this space? I'm still asking myself that question too. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, it's only been like five months since I opened up a resting place, and I feel like in a way this this thing that i've helped create or did create has its own spirit its own like i don't know it feels like a living being i often mm. say grief is a living being right mm. it's like its own force and and so i feel like i kind of started this project and it's kind of like transforming and mm-hmm. and creating itself and leading me to to the work right and so i'll preface it your you know this conversation with that yeah. Um, but essentially, uh, a resting place is a grief and loss cultural center located in the Seattle International District. Um, and mm. it's a public space, you know, open on Fridays and Saturdays for people to come in to explore um, and find meaning in their grief. And there are, you know, different things to to kind of interact with in the space. There's um, a collective community altar where people have brought in like special items, um, names, pictures of people who've died in their life. Mm. There are um, pamphlets and online resources for grief support in our area, also nationally. There's a grievous library that has you know a bunch of different books about grief, mm. um, and also other books that may intersect grief, like. Ethnic studies books, psychology, sociology books, stories and poems. Mm. Um, yeah, my, my hope for a resting place that is that it is really a resting place for grief. Mm-hmm. Um, in a world where oftentimes grief can't be rested, right? Grief yeah. is kind of oftentimes just like, I don't know. Amongst so many things that we're juggling in our life, right? And so a resting place is an opportunity to kind of lay all, lay that down and kind of um, find what you need in your grief. Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's, had you ever seen a model for a place like this before you opened it? No, not at all. Wow. And, and I would say the, the lack of, of um, community-centered grief 
um, space is what really propelled me to open a resting place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a grief clinician, um, a grief counselor, I think it's really amazing when somebody who is grieving can put their trust in another human being to hold and companion their grief with them on a weekly basis or, you know, regular basis. Mm-hmm. I, I really admire that. And um, I really value that space. And at the same time, I, I do see a need for um, spaces where grief can be integrated in our life as something that is a part of who we are. Right. Like, yeah. Um, like grief is, it, it's really great to have spaces like grief counseling where you can meet, you know, once a week with your counselor. And at the same time, grief is, it's much larger than that, you know, 50 minute a week or that one hour a week, you know. Right. It's, 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 it's all of who we are, you know. And so I specifically wanted to open up a space in the international district um, where people could, could seek grief resources and seek grief support um, and have it be a part of their day right? Have it be a part of their day. Um, oftentimes people will come into a resting place thinking it's like a gift shop or uh-huh. a bubble tea shop or a plant shop. Most, li- <laughs> most likely a plant shop because uh-huh. there's a lot of really beautiful plants there. Love and, it. Um, I, you know, I tell them, no, it's not, it's not a plant shop. You can think of it as like a community center or a cultural center um, mm. cross-sectioned into um, a grief support space too. And so, you know, oftentimes it does catch people off guard, but I think ultimately people do find find meaning in the space. That's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I feel like it's a, it's like it's almost like the perfect synthesis of all those worlds that you described coming from <laughs> earlier. You know, the community organizing, the grassroots, the artists, the grief therapy. Like it's you know, this is a space where you can put all of it into one. And also, you know, like I talk about therapy a lot and how, you know, just important it's been on my life, but mm. I realized that, you know, not everyone has access and, um, and I didn't have access, you know, for most mm. of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing spaces where, um, it can be more open, you know, to people to just drop in to, for people that don't, might not have a grief counselor or maybe never even heard of a grief counselor, but right. can go, but can go with a group. Like it's just, totally. It's just so powerful. It's so beautiful. Like, thank you. Thank you for opening it. Yeah, and, and, and showing And showing people what's possible, you know? Right. I think, you know, a resting place is really showing me what's possible. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just really there as a steward. Yeah. And as a person to kind of just really witness what people are, are needing in community in regards to their grief. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, not everyone needs a counselor. You know, not everyone needs like a, a therapist. Right. Um, what I'm finding is that like what people need is like really each other. That's um, it. Right. And what people really need is themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but to find the importance of themselves, to find the importance of each other in the midst of their grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, Gabe, like grief can be really isolating. Yes. And, and, and sometimes it's actually really important to be in the solitude of, of yourself mm-hmm. so that you can really attune and understand like what do you need in your despair right um and then there comes a point in a in grief when possibly um you feel a little bit more open to to exploring what's outside of yourself in terms of grief mm-hmm. um i think that's a really opportune moment to to build supports around yourself um to really ask yourself what you need um and to give yourself what you need right and to ask of others what you need um, I think you read in my the statement that I uh, that I wrote um, that I really do believe there's something about grief work that is violence prevention, right? Um, talk. Can we talk? I was going to ask yeah. if we could unpack this this statement a little bit too. Yeah, like you know, totally. Like why um, why did you why did you feel like it was important to 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 put this statement out? You know, you know, I thank you for it, but I, I wanted to hear it in your yeah. own words. Like. You know. <sighs> I don't know if I can really sum it up in in, in one session, but let me <laughs> let me kind of piece it all try to piece it together here. Yeah. Um, I, on my mind, I, I just been thinking about like what keeps us safe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
I, I've, I think about my mom's story so much. Like I think about Susanna's story. Um, I think about, you know, their friend Veronica. Mm -hmm. I think about like what kept them safe is each other. Mm. Right. What kept them safe is their friendship, um, their belief in each other, their trust in each other, um, the willingness to fight for their life together. Yeah. Um, and I learned so much from that today and I, I continue to learn from their friendship and how I kind of maneuver life in the present. And so when I think about grief work and how, how grief does ask us to be in our imagination around connectivity, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about grief, we think of it as, you know, that, like I said earlier, that natural response to, to any type of death and loss. Um, and that response oftentimes is us grappling with the fact that this person or people or place or thing is no longer here in the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're really recreating relationship, right? Mm. And so when I think about what does it mean to recreate relationship, um, it means that we get, to, we get to call the shots, you know? We get to call how you want to be in relationship. You get to call how you want to be in boundaries and in connection with other people. And to me, we're not always we're not always availed that opportunity in our life, where we get to think about how we want to be in connection with other people, mm -hmm. um, especially I think as as children, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of different cultural norms across many cultures, um, oftentimes we we aren't we aren't able to talk about our boundaries. We're not able to talk about consent. We're not able to talk about how we want to be empowered to be in relationship with other people. But mm -hmm. grief absolutely calls us to be in that place, right? Mm -hmm. It asks you, how do you want to continue living your life in relationship to yourself, in relationship to another person? And in that way, I think that like, <sighs> bear with me. I feel like I'm just like, no, thinking just about it as I'm speaking, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. when I think about prevention work, I think about violence prevention work, I think about what does it mean for people to reduce isolation? What does it mean for people to feel accountable to their own health and wellness, for other people to be accountable to each other's health and wellness? And, and, and to me, at the center of that is relationships, right? Right. Um, and so there's an interesting cross-section of like, when we recreate the relationship we, do, we want with the people who've, who've died in their life, we're simultaneously recreating the relationships we want and connection we want with the people who are alive in our life. Does mm. that make sense? Mm. And so I think that there's really something, you know, powerful and magical there when when we, when we think of grief work that way as redefining relationships. Wow. Um, and so that in that way to me, grief work is anti-violence. Grief work is what, you know, allows us to be in spaces where we can experience freedom. Um where we can, wow. when we can like really be empowered to be in, in connection to ourselves first and foremost and like our ecology. Wow. That, that, that connection right there is some, like the way you connected all that is something I've never heard anyone put together to be quite honest, you know, mm. uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with it. I'm thinking about it and it makes me think that, you know, that grief changes us, right? That loss changes mm -hmm. us and it changes mm -hmm. our whole perspective and the way mm -hmm. we think about ourselves, all of our relationships. Like that's mm -hmm. that's kind of how it's hitting me right now. I don't know if that's exactly how you intended it. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, know, like, I, I guess the reason why I say that is because I feel like I'm constantly just like thinking about the shit in my head and I yeah. actually don't share it with other people too much. So, you know, uh -huh. first of all, thank you for, you know, allowing me this opportunity uh -huh. to kind of speak out, out loud with, with you, Gabe, about this. Cause I, I feel it in my, in my mind because I've experienced it with my own life and I've That's seen right. it in the experiences of other people. Like you said, like what you just said, Gabe, grief transforms you. It does. Grief changes you. Yeah. Right? It, it calls you into like the most human um, and non-human parts of who you are. 
Mm-hmm. And I think in, in the midst of that like transformation, um, there's so much power and so much like possibility there. Mm. Um, it reminds me of this, uh, this Grace Lee Boggs quote. And I think it's, it goes like, um, actuality is first off possibility. And, and I think grief work really asks us to create possibilities. Yeah. Right. Like possibilities that were once not that, that, that didn't exist anymore. Right. Like our connection to people who've died is possible because of our imagination. Right. Mm. And so if we're able to imagine it and make it into a possibility, then it's real. Right. It's like the realest thing anyone could, could experience. And in, in, in my experience, in my life, like, when I was a child, I used to really get down on myself because um, because my mom was murdered when I was I was so young. I, I didn't have and I don't have many memories of her, right? Right. And it came a point where I didn't I didn't know like what was real and what was not real, like what was real or what was imagined or what was dreamt. Mm-hmm. And I used to get so hung up on that. Um, and I think I, I've come to a point in my life that when I'm like. It doesn't matter, you know. All of it's mm, real. You know, that's right. all my dreams, all my imaginations, yeah, all my wishes, all my desires to connect with my mom. It's all real, yeah. And it's probably the most realest thing I'll, I'll ever experience in my life. Wow. Um, to me, maybe I don't have the right words for it, but to me, there's something about liberation that's that's in the mix of that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something about possibility and something about our imagination that 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 makes things real that I think can really um yeah yeah really something I'm losing my words now Gabe what is it you're you're, spe- you're speaking beautifully and very clearly what what it makes me think is um when I think about freedom like what does freedom mean right like mm. I, th- I think I think to be free means to free someone else mm you know and i think mm-hmm. like like i think that that has to be an essential part of it right i mm-hmm. think that i think that it's a process i don't think it's i don't know if it's really a destination that you're just at that you don't get to ever stop working at you know mm-hmm. just just like grief just like love mm-hmm. just like like all these mm-hmm. things they're pro- they're processes that we we always engage in you know um another grace lee boggs quote i think is uh I think I think she said this, but you know, with every victory comes a new set of contradictions, right? So as soon as mm. we, as mm. soon as as soon as we think we're there, there's something else we didn't see that we still got to work on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I say that to say, um, yeah, f- the the link between freedom and grief. Um, I see. I I just I just see it like it makes it makes sense to me, you know, and. Mm. And I feel like when we don't make that space to grieve, when we don't make like create that space for us and for others to really like process our losses, it's something that um, like we get trapped in, you know. And when we're and when we're trapped in that, and when that grief lives in our body, I mean, they, you could you could extend it to masculinity, and you could extend it to. Um, the way that you know men are traditionally told to like fight their feelings and don't mm-hmm. don't 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 feel these things and what happens is men become super extra violent because they were mm-hmm. never given a space to cry or to just mm-hmm. feel what they're mm-hmm. going to feel you know what i mean so yeah like i don't know if i'm speaking clearly but that <laughs> the link no it resonates it resonates with me yeah the link the link t- to freedom through through grieving it does make sense i haven't seen anyone spell it out as clearly as you did in this statement though it's yeah it's just beautiful mm. well hopefully you can you can link the statement you know when whenever you push it out so people can can uh can 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 reflect and, and read upon it yeah I, I have this one page of it open in front of me right now i'm just gonna read it right now it says uh it says the call to grief work is also the call to liberation why because grief requires us to be free to embrace grief is to embrace freedom 
freedom from expectation and control. It is the allowance to fly, to soar, to fall, to collapse into the depths of one's own humanity. Grief calls us to be the companion of another person's freedom through a shared sense of loss and liberation. I mean, you said it right there. Those are your words. <laughs> you know? Those are my words, you know. And it's funny because I took that specific segment out of like a Facebook post I wrote several years ago. Really? Um, because I found myself in in one of my grad school classes um, talking about and reflecting about grief. Um, and I will say, like, you know, for myself, I haven't been so vocal about my losses and my experience of grief, maybe not until I, I entered APHIA. So like wow. just like the last in these last 10 years, uh-huh. um, which may seem like a long time. But, you know, for, you know, for most of my life, I wasn't so vocal about about this feeling or this experience of grief. Um, but in one of my classes, I really forget what class it was, but I remember I was just going off about about grief and going off about historical trauma and my connection to my mom. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I feel like I was I was just really impressed of myself, you know, that I could kind of um, exceed my expectation of what grief could be or what connection could be in my life. And I found myself really kind of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for now, maybe attuned or maybe just really, um, I felt like an undoing of myself. I, like I said in, in that statement, I, I felt really free, right? Yeah. I felt really free from like an expectation of what others or my own self had of, my, had of me and how, to, how I should be in my grief. And so I, that a part of that ca- that statement came from that experience of of me kind of uh, expressing myself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. It makes, yeah, it's reminding me of one of my, <laughs> I think one of my core like <laughs> quotes. I always think about the most. Uh, it, it has to do with art and music, but it relates right here as well. It's James Baldwin. Um, mm. he, uh, it's from an interview. Uh, people that have listened to me have probably heard me quoted a thousand times. But um, the interviewer asked James Baldwin, why do you write? And he said, I write to describe. He said, if I can if I can describe a thing, I can outwit it. But first I have to describe it, you know? Mm. And I think that's that's real for, you know, for grief. Like we've got to, we've got to describe the things that we're going through. We have to be able to communicate it to to free ourselves from it i think i think that's that's so true it it reminds me of when i was um studying about traumatic death like traumatic mm. grief I'm studying around like how does murder and suicide and violent death how does it manifest in our psyche and in our in our mind and our spirit and um my supervisor at that time had described the experience of surviving violent death as the monster in the closet, Mm, right? mm -hmm. The monster in the closet that you're too afraid to see because it's so horrific, right? Yeah. The things that you don't want, that you don't want to see are oftentimes the, the the distressful kind of images and sounds and thoughts in your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's in that corner of your house in the closet and you're too afraid to look at it because it's so horrific. There might be a time in your life though that you that you that you have the courage to open that door, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone's with you to open that door. Mm-hmm. And you crack it open just a little, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe for that day you just leave the door the door cracked open. You don't even look inside, but you just leave mm-hmm. it cracked open, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's another point in your life where you decide to pull that door wider and you see a little bit of the image of 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 that monster in your closet and bit by bit as you grow in your grief you become maybe more courageous and more brave you maybe decide you want to take more risks and open that door so you can actually see that monster in the closet and then you shine the light on that monster and it looks so scary it is actually as horrific as you thought it would be but in that moment, you're able to see it for what it is, and you're able to describe it 
right? You can see all the different facets that that make up that monster, the different images, the different sounds, the different distressing thoughts that, that make up this monster in the closet in your home. Um, and even though it's still scary, it's still something now that you can see, now that you can describe, now that you can externalize and maybe see it in a, and understand it in a different way. And so that quote that you just that you just told me by James Baldwin kind of res, just, um, remind me of that aspect of of surviving traumatic death, and that it it does require us to be brave, um, and then in, in that braveness to respond to the to grief, um, and not just to respond to it, but take action, um, and write about it, create art about it, tell people people about it, retell yeah. it, right? Find yourself in that story. Um, in the dying story and allowing yourself to retell it how you want to, to tell the story. Yeah. How do you, how do you not get stuck in it? Maybe I'm stuck in it right now, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you are. I don't think you are. I'm not get stuck in my not just no. you, not just you, anyone, you know, anyone. how do, how do we not get stuck in it in those moments? You know, it's so personal for everybody. Yeah. I allow myself to to do things that that don't involve grief, you know. Mm. Like spend time with my chosen family, my partner, my dog. Yeah. I allow myself to like eat delicious food, make delicious food, you know. I'm I'm still growing my practice because you know, right now specifically the, the genocide in Palestine, I do feel really stuck right now. Me too. Um I and I I I do feel stuck and I, I do feel an agitation. Um, and so I'm, I'm at this moment right now, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that the things that usually make me feel balanced, it's, it's not working, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I can expect for any of it to work right mm. now either. That's real. You know, that's real. Um, I think grief is, is really at this right now is, is calling all of us into our collective humanity and, and collective action. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe grief is a call, the grief that we're experiencing right now as, uh, as, as we, as we witness what is happening in Palestine, it is a call to action. Absolutely. Um, and that call is, 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 is personal. And it is, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, unique for every single one of us to our best of our, our abilities. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to figure out what my call is right now and what action I can take um, that feels meaningful um, in this moment. Yeah, that's that's real. I, I, I relate to that so much because every single day I'm feeling like overwhelmed and mm. and yeah, stuck and, you know, in the midst of like. I don't know. I feel like I oscillate between like frantic energy, like like mm -hmm. I, I have to I have to keep an eye on everything that's happening and repost right. and reshare everything as it's happening because the media right. is not going to right. sh share any of it. So like you know, on some level we might it. we might be all these people have like it feels mm -hmm. that desperate at times, mm -hmm. and and it also feels like there's like a sense of like I can do this one thing but it's not enough. And then the, the powerlessness that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's so rough, man. But I remember those babies, man. I remember those mm -hmm. babies, those babies, like who are in the middle of it, like are like, just like drawing on the, like coloring, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the midst of like a place is being bombed, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. Like there is, there is a need to stay human. There is a need for us to, mm -hmm. um, to tap in to those things that like can restore our spirit, so we can get up and fight another day. You know, because it's true. Yeah, and I'm saying that, and like my words are saying that, but it's very hard to actually do. Like mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like, like, it's I don't, true. Yeah. I think that's like you know that's the that's why it's so important to like move through grief through, with other people right absolutely and let grief connects us. let grief connect us so we can lift each other up and take action together right that's right um and so that's also my hope too even though i am feeling like really you know somewhat 
a little hopeless, but I do hold on to the hope that like we're in this together and absolutely you know like as a friend to you gabe you can always call me if you like <laughs> like likewise we got each other's phone numbers now <laughs> yes we have each other's phone number now and you know i yeah. think it is so important to like to show up for the for the people in palestine and show up for ourselves and, and show right. up for each other and and let us know that as we struggle towards liberation that that we can be to, we can be together through that struggle too yeah and find ways to celebrate find ways to like ground ourselves in our humanity while pushing forward for change. That's right. That's right. What, like outside of this month, when you're, when you're doing your grief counseling work at the children's hospital, like what are the things that you do to like stay grounded and stay like, like how do you come back to, to yourself? Like after, Mm -hmm. after, after long days of like counseling sessions. Yeah. Let's see here. I, I, like I said earlier, I do love to eat delicious nice. food. You yeah. Know? Um, I, you know, yesterday I went to Seward Park. It was so sunny. Uh-huh. I, I, you know, you know, Mount Rainier, Mount Tahoma was just there and in, in all their glory. And yeah. it was nice just to like hear families, hear children, hear dogs and ducks, like just around me and, 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 and finding myself in like the ecosystem of like that moment. That, that felt really grounding to me, you know? Um, and so that felt really rejuvenating to me. It wasn't like a really, you know, beautiful or, you know, grandeur type of like ritual or anything, but it really was allowing myself to connect to the present, like my reality, my present, you know, for at least a few moments. And that helped ground me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how can people support the work you're doing with the Arresting Place? Yeah. There's many ways that people can support Arresting Place. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at arrestingplace.sea. Um, I have a few, um, you know, by the time this gets pushed out, the events will probably be over. But I'm always having like... I'm pushing, it, I'm pushing it out tomorrow, brother. Tomorrow. Oh, shoot. That's hella soon. Yeah. Well, in that case, on Friday, I'm having a live Philippine love songs event um, from six to eight at, at a resting place. And then the next day, um, I'm having a grievous market where I'm highlighting four different artists and organizers um, who are sharing with the world their craft and how grief, um, how grief influences and transforms their artistic kind of offerings. And so... Folks can um, are, are more than welcome to support through that way. Um, this you know project of mine is really volunteer ran by by me, and so mm-hmm. I am accepting donations. Um, you can definitely reach out to me on Instagram to connect that way. Um, okay. And so yeah, I, I definitely want to to make this project last. You know, um, I'm finding ways to to. Um, to fund it for 2024. So I'll be clear about that is that I am looking for like financial and fiscal sponsors to keep this space open, right? Mm-hmm. This very unique, one of a kind um, project that I really have never seen before. Yeah. Um, so I want to keep this space open and it is not possible without financial support. And that's just kind of the reality that, that we live in. And so, um, yeah, aside from coming to a resting place, just being with your grief, um, that's also a, a pathway to to supporting this project as well. Yeah, you've you you've answered this question in a million ways, but I uh, I ask everyone this question. It's always my last question. What's one thing you hope everyone gets from your work? Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I hope that people people find themselves in their grief and and understand for themselves that like grief can can look like so many different things right it can be the most mundane thing you've ever experienced in your life or it could be the most transformational life rocking experience that you've ever felt in your life mm-hmm. grief can be and grief is so multiplied you know it's so varied and so personal to everybody. 
it can connect you to yourself. It can connect you to another person. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's really my my hope for people is that pe- and that folks can find um, the multiplicity of grief in in themselves. Mm. Beautiful, that's real. Yo, I didn't even ask. Do you have any new like art shows or art things coming up <laughs> as well? You know, I don't necessarily have any new art per se, but okay. well, I guess I do. I do have an art piece hung up at Hood Famous right now. Nice and. Um, I can't say too much about it, but it's kind of the beginning of a project that I'm doing with, with Shara from Hood Famous. And so you're welcome to visit Hood Famous, order all the coffee, all the delicious pastries from them, and, oh, and yeah. check out my, um, my piece um, near the, the barista counter. Love it. I'm so glad I remembered to ask that. <laughs> check, out, <laughs> check out, support Hood Famous, support a resting place. Derek, thank you so much for this conversation. I know we're thank gonna have you. we're, we're gonna have so many more. I want to thank my friend Derek Dizon again for being so generous with his time, his story, his vulnerability, his insights, his wisdom. Be sure to check out arrestingplace.sea over on Instagram. Stay updated on what Derek's got going on. I also want to thank you for tuning in. This is just the second episode of my new podcast, The Worldwide Underground. A continuation of the work that I was doing on KXP. With a lot of stuff that uh, I wanted to do. Stuff I wasn't really able to do over at the old job. This is a completely independent, completely autonomous production right here. And you can support it by tapping in over on gabrieltiodros.substack.com. Become a subscriber at any amount to help support this kind of work we do. Storytelling, the music, the mixes that I'm sharing over there. I appreciate you all so much. And most importantly... Do whatever you can. This is all hands on deck to stop the genocide in Gaza. Whether that's calling your reps, whether that's showing up to a protest, a rally, a march, whether that's using your voice on social media, in person, in the classroom, on your campus, in your workplace, Watching how the dollars are spent, making sure they're not with companies and institutions that make a killing off of killings, divesting from this war machine, divesting from the thought process behind the war machine. This is all hands on deck, man. We all got to do what we can. That's more important than anything else I said on this whole podcast. Yeah. Appreciate you all so much. Be back sometime next week with another episode of the Worldwide Underground. I didn't drop a mix today. And I don't feel good promoting my own album. But there is a new album out. It's called From the Ashes of Our Homes. And in the context of everything else going on in the world just hits different give it a listen if you want alright I'm gonna see y'all soon be good to yourselves be good to each other peace